0: Welcome to Sport Faith Life with Brian Bolt and Chad Carlson, two guys who came together for one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. They are sports scholars, they're coaches, and they're competitive athletes, or at least they were. And together, they've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith.
1: Welcome to the Sport Faith Life Podcast, Chad Carlson, Brian Bolt here. We've been discussing over the last number of months the nine fruits of the Spirit and the seven deadly sins in relation to sport, and it has bred for us some really interesting conversations, some of which um, have exceeded our expectations, our, (laughs) our, our modest expectations, as we go through each one of these, we're we're talking about the connections that this might have to particular uh, to sport in general and our particular lives within sport more specifically uh, in a way that we think helps illuminate some of these fruits of the spirit and the seven deadly spins in the sins in new ways. And so today we are discussing the deadly sin of lust and I feel like, Brian, in my mind, I've been avoiding this one, and I'm not sure exactly why. I, I feel like this is one that maybe Christians avoid talking about because it seems to be personal, and there's maybe something that's um, you know socially less acceptable in terms of talking, uh, you know, in terms of discussion topics. Talking about lust, but we're talking about lust in sport, and There's probably some shallow entries into this topic like we've had in the past, but I think there's something deeper that we can get to as well. And so I'm really excited about the topic today, even though it isn't one that I would have identified at the start of this mini-series as saying, yeah, that's what I'm really looking forward to talking about. So let's explore the deadly sin of lust. Brian, I want to start by entering into the waters uh, shallowly and say this, I think In the world of sport, and we're in the midst of the Women's World Cup competition right now, part of the initial connection between sport and lust is the idea that oftentimes when we watch sport, what we're watching are um, athletes in their physical prime with uh, attractive body, muscles, they move well, that there's something that might... um, elicit some lust just from watching sport because of the nature of what's going on um, and the nature of the uniforms that are being worn in so many sports um, especially I would say uh, female sports have traditionally um, been used as sort of um, displays of of sexuality in certain sports right
0: yeah. Lust. Um, glad that you're trying to avoid it. Good for you. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. Um, yeah. We're all trying to avoid lust. Was it Luther who said you can, you know, you can keep, um, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. And I think that's a good way to mm-hmm. think about um, that level of avoidance. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, Interesting when we think about this, I was uh, headed in the same direction. There's a physicality, obviously, to sport that we celebrate, right? One thing that we like about sport is it has a holistic element. It thinks about humanity. It considers humanity in a holistic way. Our bodies mean something, and the way we move our bodies affects uh, who we are as, as humans, right? And so... I think um, there is that sort of quick connection about the physicality. That I'm not trying to put a positive spin on lust here, but I, am, I do like embodiment as a as a good theme to flow through. And one of the things we think about with our sexuality is that there is um, there are our connections between our physical lives and our spiritual lives and our thought lives that. Some people want to separate. Uh, they want to uh, think about us as, uh, as in, in sort of dualistic ways. Uh, things that are more important being maybe things of the mind. Things that are less important, things of the body. And as sport people, uh, we've had these conversations in many ways with regard to sport. Uh, and now we're we're trying to add this piece or think about this piece related to sex. Um, Attractiveness, uh, and as you said, uh, probably more through the observing visual sense, which brings us right to lust. Right, so where there's participation in sport, and then there's observation of sport, and in that observation is probably where that low hanging fruit, to use the the bad pun there, uh, kind of comes out with uh, with lust and sport. I think uh, this is a tricky one when you think about um, athletes, right? So I've been an athlete, you've been an athlete. We put on our uniforms, and really the, the smart coaches among us want us to feel good in our uniforms, want us to, to feel good about ourselves. We know that there's a public element to this, that there's a presentation element to this. You know Some people said, you know if you feel good, if you look good, you'll play better, those sorts of things. Uh, also, you know, we all, uh, you know, comb our hair in the morning, and some of us, and uh, ah. get sorry. no, yeah, no, I, I, I know, there. I get it. it. You know, second slow you know there. What I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we present ourselves in a certain way, and uh, we observe how other people present themselves, and some of that is about attractiveness, to be honest, right? So we need to just acknowledge that that happens. And when um, I think what we've seen most often is how that now manifests itself in ways that are beneficial, say, uh, people putting their uh, information on social media become NIL stars, partially because of the way they look, which seems so seedy and awful. And yet at the same time, it's all part of humanity, right? Sexuality is part of humanity. And we don't want to be entirely prudish about that and we don't want to be entirely prudish about uh beauty right so these uh this is a conundrum when we think about that um and female athletes male athletes um have employed those sorts of tactics on purpose uh to try to attract attention um and so Challenging, yes, for sure. The question is, how do we take what uh, biblically is a very good thing, which is desire, uh, attraction, um, and sort of decipher how to keep that out of this really bad thing, this deadly sin, which is lust. Uh, Sport does, uh, you know, we hear about... um, certain things that happen in the Olympic village, for instance, right? We'll hear that just a bunch of good looking in their prime athletes, uh, and the number, the number of condoms that are handed out, right? So lots of different things where athleticism athletes and what seems like casual or even exploitive sex, um, is the result. And, It's difficult for us to to separate those two things. But I do think that that um, world of sport has always had that. Um, And particularly with television and media in lots of different forms, there's uh, an opportunity for that to just grow. And that's what we've seen happen over and over again. So I do think um, the challenge is to think about – a good thing that has become a bad thing and how that happens in the world of sport. And is there a way to maintain the good thing um, without, you know, this sort of prudish uh, approach? And so that's, that's where I'm um, that's how I'm thinking about it right now. I I have some other thoughts, but I'll pull back and let, uh, let me know what you're thinking, Chad.
1: Yes. I I mean, sport is a terrible place for us to i mean we're, we're really forced in sport to we're forced towards that that bad place in some ways right because of the the nature of sport is that we are evaluating bodies and when we're evaluating bodies we're looking at the flesh and and i think doing so sort of encourages us down towards that 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 bad place that you're talking about the ob- objectification and really in sport that's what we do we objectify bodies uh, at least in terms of talent identification talent development those types of things I mean you think about the ways in which professional athletes bodies are, are totally objectified you know male and female uh, you know towards a, a particular performance goal or outcome but of course th- when, when talking about the opposite you know gender we're, we're thinking about uh, you know that that can easily lead to something other than what it's meant to be right um, and so that's a, it's a difficult. It's a difficult path to go down because it's it's difficult to stop at at the objectification towards particular performance if that's even something we can we can condone so I absolutely agree with what you're saying and I think um, there there are there are difficulties that manifest themselves you know it was a couple of years ago Brian that you and I were doing a podcast episode on um, <clears throat> ESPN the magazine and its body issue you remember that one
0: I do. Yes, the body issue.
1: And we said a few things. We were we were recording in a particular studio and had uh, a couple of people that we knew that were around while we were recording. And when we finished I think you and I felt like we had maybe said some provocative things that wouldn't necessarily be mainstream you know Christian views on, you know, the body of the athlete.
0: We didn't take a safe route, did we? We didn't take a safe no.
1: route, and I think we were trying to acknowledge that uh, ESPN magazine's body issue or Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. No, those are two separate things. I know we were talking about ESPN, the magazine's body issue.
0: Yeah, and I think the provocative aspect of that ESPN body issue is that they're completely naked. Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: They find a way to uh,
0: photograph the athlete in positions where you know private parts are obscured, but um, there there are no clothes. I mean, that's the rule of the ESPN body issue. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's interesting that, um, you know, we were sort of saying, well, there, there's something to be proud of there for the athletes, and, and this may not be totally negative. And I think we're trying to take a bit of a counter issue uh, to, to promote conversation, thinking deeply about this. And now, you know, the discussion on lust might actually take a, a different turn here, as as observers of that magazine, um, you know we're, it's it's like we're spectating sport, and and when we watch that, you know, I guess our, our hearts can easily be led down down paths that uh, um, that are more shameful, and and might might go more towards lust, um, you know than others. I'm I'm just, I'm thinking about the observation and you talked about that, Brian, there's the observation, there's the participation and, and the observation can easily lead to that. I'm I'm always whenever thinking about lust and sport and I don't think about lust and sport often, but I come back to this one comment that, that my grandma of all people made. Hmm. Uh, She had come to one of my high school basketball games. This is in the mid 1990s. We all wore these long baggy shorts, baggy uniforms. And after the game, she told me, you know, I really liked it better. Um, back in, you know, generation before, because they were wearing such short shorts, and I like seeing their legs when I'm watching. And my grandma didn't care one bit about basketball, but she was able to watch boys run around in short shorts, and at this point in time, it was long shorts, and she liked the long shorts a lot lot less. And I'm thinking about the ways in which then participants, or I'm sorry, observers are watching and what they're watching for.
0: Yeah, and I, um, okay, let's go ahead and date me. I wore the short shorts back in in high school, and it's a little frightening uh, how short those shorts were back yeah. in the day. Uh, it was, I think, the the University of Michigan and the Fab Five who brought mm-hmm. the the super long shorts, and then eventually basketball went way below the knees, which was uh, a totally different look. Yeah, and without a doubt, like your grandmother's comment was what we would call sort of innocent. Mm-hmm in some ways, right? It's, uh, oh, uh, she's not anticipating grooming these young boys. She's not anticipating, you know, interacting with them in any way. Right. But she's celebrating youth mm-hmm. in some ways, right? And she's thinking about just the the how the visual aspect of sports spectatorship intersects with uh, how we think about uh, people, right, and how we think about uh, what's going on and I think we it, it would be silly of us for for any of us to think like this is you, you age out of this right you age out of obser- observation um, you age out of uh, sexual attraction or desire um, and you, we, we see great examples of that not being true and so From the oldest spectators all the way through, I think that the idea of presenting yourself in such a way that this is possible, the question is how much um, responsibility is there on a team, a coach, an athlete, in terms of quarantining that um, impulse or response, And I have to go back to this idea that this desire, we were built with this desire. God made us with a desire or an attraction, a sexual attraction. And ultimately, we have uh, endorsements of that attraction in a certain space, which is a really, I mean, we're going to really get in the weeds if we get here. But in a certain space, which is is the marriage space, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, we have this and many people have talked about this, there's a space where this is great and there's a space where it isn't, right? And a way to think about lust, like what the separation of something that's good that has become something that's evil or bad or deadly, uh, is about that exploitation, is about that objectification. It's about taking or reducing something that's good to basically individual gratification right it's reducing it down to a self-serving purpose and that's not the place for sex Um, and in our minds sport can be that place where we we reduce we reduce other people i think you talked about it i'm not sure if it's a direct parallel but i think there's something there like we we take the bodily use of somebody somebody's somebody's body serves a purpose for us uh and that can happen in sport in an exploitive way in terms of just dismissing athletes when they're when they don't meet our purposes again and that could be quite arbitrary to be honest right we before we got on this call i talked about the difficulty of you know Cutting athletes, right? They try out for a team, and the challenge of cutting athletes, and it comes down to like, hey, I need you to function in a particular way. It's not like I'm getting, I can, you know, really get into getting to know you. I need you to function in a particular way for for uh, our purposes, right? And so there is an element of that that happens in sport where uh, quick judgments are made, and uh, it's based on sort of a physicality. Lust, I think, is just an example of linking the desires of our hearts uh, to our minds in such a way that it becomes a vicious cycle. And that, I think, is the battle of every person, certainly every Christian, who it there's a very clear um, edict, you know, from behavior described as adulterous or um, you know exploitive to even Jesus saying if you ever if you look at someone with lust in your heart you've committed adultery and so it's a it's a high bar it's a high challenge and certainly in sport the number of exposures goes up the number of opportunities goes up and so when we think about sin in general we think about fleeing from it and there are places where you need to flee right so there are um, athletes, for instance, who put on social media, I, I see it in the golf world, right? So female athletes who dress in a certain way and then they put a, a golf lesson on social media and the point is not the golf lesson. <laughs> to be honest with you, the point is not the golf lesson. So I think that this happens in subtle ways as it creeps in. Uh, and it's something that uh, we want to be diligent about
1: and thinking about in a in a very intentional way. So when we're talking about the Christian in sport and lust, I think what we're talking about here, Brian, what you're you're alluding to is sort of a lack of discipline, being able to sort of harness what's good about a particular desire, and and how it might be led into a of destruction. That. There, there's something about lust that feels like it's cheat, it's cheating, it's taking the shortcut, right? And if we think about like a lust for winning, I think that might be an example that helps us get there. A lust for winning, you know, if, if you're, you know, winning involves agency, it involves uh, doing particular things, behaving in certain ways within the constraints of the game, that is... Uh, um, that, that's a, a path to the top, right? It's building of something, and it's something good. But if one is is cheating or taking shortcuts towards victory, it's much more hollow. It doesn't mean as much. It doesn't show as much discipline, right? It, in fact, it, there, it there's a way of sort of um, getting towards the idea of of winning where you haven't shown discipline, right? You haven't done the things that you've needed to do, and therefore one sought a you know, a, a corrupt or a less approved um, uh, route of behavior towards that particular victory. And I think there's something there as a parallel towards what we're talking about here with lust. And I think it's something similar to greed, which we discussed a few months ago on this podcast, the idea that um, that there is something good, but that we sort of exploit it or we we corrupt it. By, uh, by not disciplining ourselves, by taking shortcuts, by um, behaving in ways that, that aren't exactly how we should. Um, so I'm thinking about um, we can win in ways that are honorable and in ways that, that prove that we've put in the time, that we have the discipline, that we've done the requisite things. Or there are ways of sort of shortcutting that that might lead to shorter term victories, goods, highs that aren't lasting and that that no one would, would point to and condone. In fact, we would conde- condemn some of those things. And that's where I think the vice creeps in, right? This deadly sin as a, as a vice is that there's, there's something vicious about um, our attitudes and our behaviors when we are taking the shortcut, when we are exploiting something, when we're not actually showing discipline in terms of uh, the desires of our hearts. Winning being sort of a, um, a parallel a corollary or an analogy to what we see in, in, you know, sort of sexual lust.
0: Yeah, I really like that. I think you're headed down a, a really uh, interesting path when we think about shortcuts to victory and the link there to a temptation, because the end product here is what we imagine it to be. We imagine it to be fulfilling in the end. And when you get there, it's not as satisfying as it would have been had you taken the appropriate route. And we have obvious examples of cheating that we could point to. For instance, uh, back a number of years ago, there was a runner, I believe it's a Boston Marathon, who kind of jumped out with a mile or two to go with a number uh, and I think it was a female runner. You're talking about Rosie uh, Ruiz. Rosie, Ru- Rosie Ruiz, right? And she jumped out and she she looked the part. She had a number on her chest and uh, and actually did cross the finish line to celebration, right? Mm-hmm. So she was ahead of everyone, jumped out of the crowd, didn't run the full race, finished over the line, and the crowd went crazy. Hey, this unknown, this virtual unknown has just won the Boston Marathon. Uh, That's an obvious example of shortcut. Uh, That's an easy shortcut. Uh, And an example of like that moment was probably all that she thought it would be, but it was extremely short-lived, which uh, does parallel this idea of lust um, that, you know, you dream up in your mind that there's a connection between you and somebody else or you even try to pursue said connection in some way, or in your mind you're just uh, sort of playing out a scenario. And that may uh, have some sort of uh, benefit or some sort of gratification at that point, but it doesn't uh, have a lasting effect. And in fact, ultimately it cheapens what um, was meant to be a good thing or what's meant to be a a good pursuit. And in this case, Rosie Rees was found out fairly quickly And, uh, you know, her world came crashing down. We see the same thing, I think, with athletes that uh, take shortcuts related to blood doping, uh, steroids, the things that uh, are known to be illegal uses, right? It's the, the organization decides that this is not a legal substance, not a legal method. And so you have to be discreet. You have to find a way to cheat to figure out how to do that. Uh, and then you know people like Lance Armstrong with with many many victories a, a much heralded athlete. If we say his name now, uh, the first thing anyone thinks about is what people consider to be maybe a shortcut to victory or a shortcut to victories. And so there are lots of examples of people taking these sorts of of shortcuts. And I don't think it's always this overt cheating. I think there are other ways too that. Um, that may be exploitive of other people, that um, and that might be as simple as just lying to a person, right? Lying uh, to an athlete to get them to perform in a particular way. Let's say a coach lies. Uh, these are uh, challenging types of things that I, I anticipate the um, the the athlete might not know in the moment, the that level, and so you're trying to elicit a, a certain response. It's a shortcut to victory. And in the end, relationships are strained and there's not a benefit um, that was worth the, the the shortcut. And so, as we think about this topic, I think it does lead to us connecting it to other deadly sins, but also thinking about the antidotes to such things. And... Uh, escaping from that um, that place in in a way that um, is a replacement, and so often when we think about these uh, deadly sins, it is a fruit of the spirit. It is uh, the 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 fruit that the spirit gives us, the opportunity that the spirit gives us to lean into our relationship to Jesus Christ to help us because um, we are weak weak and flawed people and so uh, i think this connection back and forth between the deadly sins and the fruits of the spirit is appropriate as we think about sport chad this was a great conversation Uh, i really appreciate uh, your perspectives as we thought about lust in sport i'm sure we could go much longer but we're going to cut this one off uh, and uh, look forward to our next conversation
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Sport Faith Life podcast, a conversation at the intersection of sport and faith. Read the corresponding blog post and learn more about us at sportfaithlife.com. Listen to more of our podcasts on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with everything sport, faith, life.